thanks so much. I was going to say, this is what 118 looks like. I ain't ready to turn 60. No, no, no. Seriously. You know what? I believe you. May stand this for a quick second. I believe you believe this with me. That there is no more fascinating, awesome, incredible individual than the Lord Jesus Christ. That when you meet Jesus, you sell the field. You buy the pearl a great price. You don't sit and count the cost of whatever little surrender you had to do to give your life to Jesus Christ. There's something about the miraculous that makes the demands of God not seem so unreasonable when you have, like myself, an encounter with God where Jesus shows up in your room and he speaks to you. No matter how you came to Jesus, you are privileged. There's not a day that goes by that I don't thank the Lord that he saved me. And I think sometimes, you know, they're, they're great at this in terms of the MCU series, What If, where they play this thing, or What If, Dr. Strange, this, whatever, What If, you know, instead of Captain America, you had the gal that was Captain America. And I, I just do this kind of worst case scenario forecasting of what if I didn't get saved. And it just makes me appreciate the fact that I am saved. So if you're appreciative of the fact that you are saved, come on, let's give the Lord a standing ovation of praise because he is worthy. Come on, somebody. He is worthy. He is worthy. Jesus. Woo. All right, turn to someone next to you. Give him a quick high five, quick handshake, big old hug. You know, the thing that I love about President Scott and Karen is no matter what season in life, and I, I knew them when they were youth pastors and got a chance to minister for them in San Jose and every spot they've ever been at. So like he said, that goes back to the 80s, man. That's uh, it's not a VH1 special. That was actually a decade that took place, y'all. And uh, I can truly say that they have handled every position they've ever been at with integrity, with humility, with phenomenal leadership. I'm, I kind of like are a lightweight jealous of them in a sense that like no matter what they would have done in life, they would be successful. But they said yes to the call of God. And we are all beneficiaries of the fact that they said yes to Christ. And how many of you appreciate their leadership, their life, their example? Awesome. Yes. Oh, man. Come on. Honor. That's it. That's it. Jeff, Josh, so many of the other leaders, the leaders here, you guys are amazing. Come on. Bring them their flowers. Come on now. Bring them their flowers. Yes. Awesome. You guys may be seated. I'm going to jump right in this. How many of you enjoyed my wife yesterday? She throws down. I tell people, once you hear my wife, you may not even want to hear me after that. This woman... She brings fire. And the last night, ladies, how many of you ladies were blessed? Oh, oh, she pulled the pin out of the hand grenade and just threw it in the midst, man. She, she, I, I love my wife on many, many levels. I mean, she, she's my lifetime boo, first of all. But in addition to that, she literally convicts me with the way she goes after Jesus. That what you see in the pulpit, she is that and more outside of the pulpit. She really, I, I'm, I, I, I wanted a life partner like this as someone that I've got to keep up with in a glorious way. And uh, so I, I so am in love with this amazing woman. Super excited about our time. So I want to ju jump right in this. This term is a term that we've heard so much recently. And yet it's a term that I believe is so crucial to where we're going to go from this point on. And that term is a new normal. Now, again, the initial, <laughs> the initial people that kind of came up with that term, I think they had a different scenario, a different thought process 
when they talk about this term new normal. Now, let me, before I hit new normal, let me just talk about this. There are many facets of the body of Christ that are trying to get back to an old normal. How many of you would agree with me? We don't have to preach on that. That's just stupid. Come on, if I had more time, I would pick more eloquent words. There are people that want to get back. Now, getting back to normal means you don't wear masks. You don't do six feet social distancing. You don't have to worry about, you know, the Delta version, Omicron version, any other version of COVID-19. Awesome. I applaud you. Yes, we, don't, we would like that. But I think some people have romanticized what church was prior to March 17, 2020. And that thought of getting back is that we filled the pews, we paid the bills, you know, we kind of look good in our North American Christianity in their own eyes. And I submit to you that God gloriously gifted us with these past two years. I'm not saying he sent the virus, but he can use every season. He can redeem it. Because what we call normal, heaven calls abnormal, subnormal. God wants to give us a new normal. And let me tell you what, now this is why normal is important. Your definition of normal will determine the demonstration of Christianity you aim after. Because no matter what, you're always after your normal. Whatever is your normal, you're trying to get to the normal. Let me say that again. Your definition, this is why it's so crucial, your definition of normal would determine the demonstration of Christianity you aim after. So what God wants to do is that God wants to send an incredible move of God, outpouring, revival, raise up reformers, because that is God's definition of normal. What we think is normal, I think the early church. I think the early believers, many of them would look at and scratch their head and wonder, were we even saved? And I'm speaking of North American Christianity. Now I got a verse, y'all, and I want y'all to get excited about the verse. How many of you don't even know the verse, but you're excited? Okay. Zechariah 12.8. Now I know enough of scripture, and I'm sure I'm not trying to compare the deep theologians that could be in attendance here, but I know that all prophetic passages have a dual edge to the sword. There's an application that's immediate in the context in which it was given, but when God breathes on it, there's also an application as the author of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, these things have written as your example. So Zechariah simply says this, and I want to lock in on this. It says that in, in that day, the Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem. The weakest among them will be as mighty as King David. And the royal descendants will be like God and the angel of the Lord who goes before him. Zechariah, this minor prophet, not minor because of what he wrote was powerful, but he didn't write a lot. He's basically pointing to what a normal is going to look like in the last days. Now, so many of us think of David. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But David was a giant killer. David, like, did phenomenal. He raised up dudes that went down into snowy pits. Come on, in Minneapolis. No, I'm kidding. Went down in snowy pits and took out lions on a cold day with no weapon tree. His 300 was the greatest hand-to-hand standing combat army of all time. We look at him as a prototype, right? We look at him as a high watermark, so to speak. But this passage says the prototype is going to become the stereotype. That before this thing is over, Jesus is going to come back with folks. Come on, I don't know if y'all ever did. Y'all got a basketball game tonight. We used to do schoolyard pickup games. You know what pickup games, meaning you would pick your team, right? You go, okay, I got him. Okay, I got him. I got him. I got him. And then Pee Wee was left, and Pee Wee went to a team by default. Like you didn't choose Pee Wee. You had to take Pee Wee, right? According to this passage, 
when you do the parking lot team picking of great reformers and people that would do great exploits, David would be Peewee, the last dude you're going to choose. That God is saying that before this thing is over, he's going to begin to give us a normal where we're going to walk. When I think of David, right, I think of passionate worship. I think of a courageous warrior. I think of a man after God's own heart. And I believe that, Lord, my confidence is not in man. Come on, somebody. If your confidence is man, you're hashtag in the church hurt movement. Come on, somebody. But if your eyes are on the Lord, the church can't hurt you. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm not saying that things haven't done, but my eyes are on the Lord, and so I'm not worried about the hurt, right? Okay, I didn't get as many amens, but I know you're with me, right? So this new level of normal is going to be amazing. Now, what we have to do if we're understanding that we're going to be like David, we got to quit thinking and identifying as the hurt, the harmed, and the hopeless. Because that's not you. You can't play victim and walk in victory at the same time. See, the devil will victimize you and then turn you into a victim after that. He'll get you into victim thinking and then victimize you on top of the fact that you got that thinking. Now, switch. What this passage is saying, and here's where I'm going to land, is heaven's heroic dimension is going to pierce through a generation, and I believe you're that generation. I believe that even right now, the, the, the domestic gross movies, this is what they tell us, of the top of the 10 highest grossing films domestically of all time, Marvel Cinematic Universe claims five and has grossed over $25 billion. Literally, they say 21 out of the top 30 movies globally of all time are superhero movies. I'm convinced that God is appealing to the heroic dimension in a generation. There's a reason why you like superhero movies. There's a reason why that's become the cash cow of, of the cinematic production of Hollywood. And, and I believe it, it points to a couple things. Number one, it is a subtle admission that we need saving, right? Because if you don't, okay, <laughs> I got to write from Jeff. If you don't know you need saving, then you're not all up in a hero. You can figure like, you figure like we good. We don't need you right now, right? But the other thing is, I'm convinced that there is a DNA placed in every single one of the individuals that God has created that has a hero that is screaming out to be unleashed. But let me tell you, uh, take it a step further. I believe that you're a hero because a hero lives in you. Okay, now, y'all are good. Awesome. Now, Here's what I want to get to. There always comes a point when God is shifting into a new prototype, when God is beginning to raise the bar of what Christianity ought to look like. There's always a choice between comfort zone and risk. And what has to happen is you have to be people that choose a, to risk or else you can't step in this dimension. Let me give you an example. Of this. Years ago, I was in Illinois, and I was doing this like there was a 1,000 teenagers uh, and it was in Illinois, and it was at kind of this uh, conference. It was at this lodge. It was amazing. I was, I was their speaker. There was another speaker. I was a nighttime speaker, how they did this thing, and they had different people speaking during the day. Uh, as we had this opening night, the power of God fell. There were healings that broke out. I loved it during worship, Jeff, during worship. Come on, somebody get a vision for that. I mean healings, healings. Like people, a girl worked out of her cast. I don't even know how that happens, right? She had to put Vaseline around. I don't know. She worked out of her cast, jumped up and down on that leg. People were just talking about healing, scoliosis of the spine, on and on and on. 
And right before it happened, I felt a shift. I knew that the presence of the Lord was there to heal. I talked to the guy who was the convener of the conference. And I said, hey, bro, healing's about to break out. And as soon as you heard it, we heard screams and applause, everything. Power of God was so there. Preach, open up the altar call. Power of God was so strong. People came forward, and they just lay prostrate on the ground, including the speaker. I'm on the platform on my face. All of a sudden, a group of kids came up to me, kids 17, 18, 19 years of age. It was a youth and young adult conference. And they said, hey, would you pray for a friend of ours? Uh, he just ran out of the back door when the power of God came. And uh, we, we felt like he's having some issues. Would you go after him? Now, if it was a one-off meeting and it was the only meeting, I probably, I would be the kind of guy, I spent 10 years in doing Alpha Campus ministry, I'd be that one guy that would go after that kid. But I knew these were successive meetings. In other words, there were multiple meetings. I'm like, give the kid some breathing space. He's good. He'll be back. And little did I know that the power of God manifesting was so strong that there was something on him that didn't want to be in that atmosphere, and he got out. So just side note, we're going to begin to see more manifestations of deliverance as Jesus draws near. The devil's been able to hide, but God is going to expose that. And so... To us as believers, I just feel, number one, if you didn't get anything else out of this past COVID quarantine season, the Spirit of the Lord was saying, consecration is key. you got to consecrate yourself. The Bible says, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders in your midst. That right now, deal with the secret sin. Lord, deal with me in the secret place so I don't have to be exposed in the public place. Ha, ha, I would much rather have God deal with me and I repent of this thing and weep when no one's around than to do it when everybody's around, right? Just saying, just saying. So I didn't go after this kid. I said, hey, let's pray for him right now. I said, hey, tomorrow night, point him out to me. Next night, power of God fell. It was the night before it was healing. This night it was deliverance. And whatever it was, they got this kid to come forward. So he comes up to me. And I said, hey, my name is Sean. What's your name? He said, my name is David. I thought, hey, man, awesome name, awesome name. We're talking about David, right? And he says, I, I said, hey, you, 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 can I pray for you for something? Do you, you've got something you want to talk about? And uh, I was kind of just putting on him, seeing where he was at. And he says, I'd like to give my life to the Lord. And he starts twitching a little bit. And he says, but they won't let me. Now, up to this point, I didn't know that the reason why he left is that he had, as my wife would say, lights are off, everybody's home, right? Y'all didn't get that. He needed deliverance. He had demonic entities, right, going on. He said, they won't let me. So I'm, I'm looking in the direction he's kind of like, they won't let me. And he kind of turns his head, which was kind of like, I don't know, part of the manifestation. But I'm looking at a group of young people, and I'm like, where are these kids at just bullying this poor kid where he can't give his life to the Lord? Man, I'm about to thump somebody up in here. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm from inner city, Oakland, California, y'all, if y'all didn't get that. And then I begin to pick up on, like, he has a shake. Hey, that's not a crack shake. That's not the Harlem shake. That's a, I got demons on board shake. We better deal with that shake. We need to shake that off you, right? And so I said, hey, would you like to give your life to the Lord? He can set you free. And he's kind of like, kind of answering, kind of not, but he kind of gives me the firm nod. That's, I, I believe in deliverance. You got to get permission, right? depending on the level of bondage, right? So I grab him by the hand because I don't want to do it with 1,999 folks watching. So there's a little door, like that door right there, that has like a little slight uh, a crack in the door, which lets me know, okay, the door is accessible. This was a new wing that they had put in this uh, new resort kind of lodge. So I grab him by the hand, and as I'm getting close to the door, I get right close to the door, and this kid David says, we are going to kill you. Now, when he said that, there were what sounded to me like multiple voices. It didn't sound like one voice, like, I will kill you. And he said, we. And I'm like, we? And he's squeezing my hand. He's a good-sized dude. We? I'm like, 
bro, do you got gummy worms in your pocket? Like, who, who are the other folks you talking about, right? And so right now I'm at the, I'm at the, the, the crack of a door, and I'm like, this dude just put a death threat on my life, and I know there are demons involved in this. Do I walk in this dark room with nobody else, no other witnesses, when the devils just said, we're going to kill you, right? And, and they're pretty focused. And, but stop for a second. 72 hours after I gave my life to Christ, some would call it sleep paralysis. I know better. A devil came and sat on me, started trying to choke me. Well, not trying. It was choking me. Couldn't breathe. Couldn't talk. Couldn't move. But I could think. And the moment I thought, I thought about Jesus. The moment I thought about Jesus, my lips got loose. The moment I, my lips got loose, I called on the name of Jesus. Whatever it was on me flew out of my apartment, left the room. Now, why is that important? My precedent is if God could do that 72 hours after I'm born again, if there's enough anointing on a new birth in the name of Jesus to deal with the demonic, why would I not take the risk to set this dude free, walk back across the desert? And so I grab him. I go in the room, and when I go in the room, he, he starts doing a contorted move. I'm not trying to make fun of him. The only way I could, like... Describe it. He looks like Curious George the monkey on crack. Okay, so he's, he's doing the Curious George on crack. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm in the room. I'm going to face you rather than the other way. I slide down the wall. First I do this, looking for a light switch. And I start sliding down the wall because I can't find a light switch, right? Who, whoever does light switches, you put them about, for my height, probably about as high as my lower part of my chest, my sternum. And usually doing it on the right-hand side of the wall, maybe a little bit further sometimes. And so I'm sliding down the wall while he said, we will kill you. And I'm trying to find like a light switch and I'm kind of moving down the wall and I'm not finding it. As I'm doing this, some, some young adults run in the room and his back is to him. This, this kid, David, the demon's on him. Back is to him. He doesn't see him. I see him. He immediately feels them and turns and says, get out of here. I will kill you. And guess what they did? <laughs> they got out of the room and closed the door, right? Well, here was the problem. My only light was the crack in the door. When they closed the door, I'm in a dark room with a demon-possessed man. The only light they had, they had a little skylight. And so this dude is walking towards me. We will kill, kill you. And so I just said, in the name of Jesus, I break that power. And the moment I did, like he's doing this thing, he drops. But the moment I say that, I'm not exaggerating, lightning flashes across the sky. We can all see it in the midst of this skylight, and when, which, by the way, the Bible says, Jesus said, the only leader that could say it, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Come on, somebody. Somebody say Jesus. When the lightning bolt hit, all of the light and power over the entire resort goes out. I'm in a dark room with a demon-possessed boy in a blackout. And he's now kind of manifesting demon number two, right? I'm saying, so we will kill you in a different kind of voice. And I'm sitting here, I'm just buying time. I'm not afraid, but I'm used to whatever level of deliverance, I'm used to having some light, but I don't have light, right? So I'm, I'm kind of risky. Do I make a run for the door and at least try to get some help? What do I do? And something inside of me just reminded me, like, greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. So fast forward this, right? I begin to get some direction from the Lord as to identify specific demonic spirits on this young guy. And if you don't believe in demon possession, just read the local like, news web reports that are coming out. Stuff that's going on today is demonized. That's not a bad diet. Come on, somebody. It's not a bad childhood. That's, that's, that's not just a bad upbringing. There's a personification of evil called the devil. 
cast seven devils out of this guy. This kid David is weeping in my arms, right? He is born again. He renounces. He, he wasn't just oppressed. He was possessed. He was in some sort of junior satanic cult. He's baptized in the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, some amen, yes, he's weeping. I'm weeping. And all of a sudden, right, some pastors come in the room, and they go, what are you doing here in the dark? And one dude walks way over underneath the skylight about this high and flips the switch, and the light goes on. Two things. Number one, I'm like, what kind of Home Depot Saturday recheck would put a light switch three-quarters away up the wall under a uh, 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 skylight? Who does that? And the second thing, I'm like, Lord, what was going on here? And the Lord spoke to me, and he says, you were looking to flip the light switch, but I was looking to flip the light switch in you. If I, if I, were, to, if I were to succinctly place this, I think we think the battle is against light and darkness. But the truth be told, when light comes up, darkness doesn't put up much of a fight. Some point, presumably in this room, it was completely dark. Somebody came in early on cut on lights. Darkness, darkness didn't sit in the middle of the room going, we are going to stay and we're going to fight. Come on, let's huddle up. We could do this. No, the moment you cut on light, darkness flees. Follow me. So the real battle, I know metaphorically the battle is light and darkness. But when it comes to you as a believer, the real battle isn't against light and darkness. The real battle is over you finding the light switch. I think so much in North American Christianity, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find a light switch when all the while God is trying to activate something inside of you. He's making, amen. He's making an appeal to this, this heroic thing. Now, in, in the development of all superheroes, I want to hit one thing and then we're going to talk about one more passage. In the development of the MCU, making of a hero, all of them have what is called, they've given a name to these three things, a traumatic trigger. Whether that's Uncle Ben being murdered right before your eyes, whether that's, you know, Bruce Wayne, Tom, Thomas Wayne, and whatever Batman's mom murdered by whatever gang dude it was in front of his eyes. Everyone has a traumatic trigger. And I started thinking about what the enemy has done to this generation and maybe how it's true to how they develop the canonization of a superhero that maybe God has exposed a generation to a traumatic trigger because what they say happens is after that, it's a realization somehow that you're the chosen, that there's something special on you to be an answer to the trauma you've gone through. You become stronger. You get through. This is exactly what President Scott mentioned, the traumatic trigger. And, and I feel like in this thing that what happens is the devil wants you to literally uh, end up in a place where you become triggered, but God wants you to become the trigger, the catalyst that unleashes. Now, having said that, let me get to this, because I just got this thing I want to hit before we're over. 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 12. I think they're going to help me up there. It says, and these are the names of the mighty men whom David had, Joshebashebeth, the Tachamanite. Ooh, that's, that's a name right there. Say it again, Mufasa. Ooh, Joshebashebeth, the Tachamanite, chief among the captains, he's also called Adino, the East Knight, because he killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines and were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose, attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herite. Philistines had gathered together in a troop. 
And there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Here's the phrase. I want you to write it down. What you do when you're afraid will determine your destiny. That point right on the threshold of a door, I'm about to walk in darkness with a demon, a kid filled with darkness, already saying they're going to kill me. What you do in those moments when you face danger, when you feel threatened, when you feel fear, when situations in crisis surround you, come on NCU, come on Minneapolis, what you do when you're afraid will determine your destiny. And this is what I find out. How many of you want to grow? How many of you want to grow? When God wants to grow you, he will put you in a high-risk situation. Here are three guys. I want to hit them real quick because the worship team is coming. Perfect, because we're going to flow. Give me about five minutes, gang, and y'all hit it, or three to five minutes, something like that, and then y'all hit it. Okay, so here is the first guy. The first guy is Joshebeth, <laughs> Joshebeth the Tachamanite, but he's also called Adino. Here's what we know about Adino, right? Adino rose up, follow me, and I just want to hit a, a quick thing, killed 800 men at one time. Come on, this MCU, y'all need to do a movie on these three dudes right here. This is, this is the original X-Men right here. What makes you think that 800 people, because let, let me say something. Here's this dude, Joshebeth Shebeth, the Tetchemonite. He's nicknamed Adino, so we're going to call him Adino. It's just easier to, to call him that. Now, here's this guy. What would make you take on 800 people? I'm, I'm a logics dude. I took logic. My, my degree is in computer engineering. I've got a master's degree in ministry. But my initial degree is engineering. I'm an engineering. I'm a thought. That's the way I think. The only way you take on 800 people, come on balcony, is that in your own thinking, you're not outnumbered. You don't take on 800 people if you go, oh, my God, it's 800 to 1. If you start doing, let, let me just say something. No one who does great exploits, I'm talking about the mindset that triggers manifestations. You cannot live by calculation. You must live by revelation. What you need is a miracle, and what you need is a miracle. You can't sit and, man, get into bean counting and all the calculation. You got to go Holy Ghost or go home. You can't bring that Kool-Aid to a gym party. You got to bring some strong drink. That, that was an Oakland term right there. But anyway. Why did he take on 800 people? And, and, and here's what I know. He knew something. Now, this is what you got to know. See, why did the devil put 800 guys on one dude? Like, if I think I could take you out back in the hood, I would show up and, like, I'm about to jump you. If I wasn't sure, I'd bring two dudes. If I really wanted to, right, wasn't sure and I wanted to give you a bad beating, maybe I'd bring three dudes. But what is it that the devil would make 800 people come against one dude? My, here's what I submit to you. What does hell know about you? What does heaven know about you that you don't know about you? The discovery of what heaven knows about me and hell must be threatened by causes this dude to rise up and he goes from this place of like comfort zone to risk. This is what North American Christianity, this is what you must do as a student. And the Bible says that that dude, man, he rose up and defeated him. Can I tell you what a Dino means? Names. My wife talked about it. Names are prophetic in Scripture. You know what? His name, nickname, Adino. How many of you got a nickname? Like, like your mama, your daddy. I'm not even going to tell you the nickname. My grandma would call me, right? Okay, one person has a nickname. All right. <laughs> right. You know what a Dino means? Y'all not even ready for this. It means dainty one. Dainty one. When God is going to defeat 800 people, he doesn't get Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Come on, somebody. Right? 
He don't get some big, huge, super Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day looking kind of dude. God is saying, I'm so awesome, I could get the dainty dude and still knock out 800 people. In other words, while other people are looking to size him up, and we're going, we, we probably shouldn't go with this guy right here. God is saying, no, I'm for the underdog. I'm for the person that other folks have counted out. I can use this guy because why? He's willing to take the risk. The next dude, real quickly, I love this guy too, Eleazar. This dude, the Bible says, defied the Philistines. So he didn't wait for the terrorists to gang up on him. He saw a troop of them gathering together, and like William Wallace in Braveheart, you know, in the movie, like, what are you going to do today? We're going to go pick a fight. This dude went and picked a fight with trained assassins. The dude had one sword. And the Bible says he beat all those dudes down, and the Bible says his hand stuck to the sword. If... <laughs> If you're going to appeal and tap into the heroic dimension, let me just stop and say this one thing. And before I hit the last guy, we're going to hit Shema. We're done. You got to be stuck to the sword. You can't be stuck to their opinion. You can't be stuck to what's trending on Twitter. You can't be stuck to what all the millions of talking heads on the zillions of cable channels or your favorite podcast that doesn't know the Lord. You can't be stuck to your favorite deconstructionist author. You can't be stuck to what the hip-hop artists are talking to you about singing the sentiment and fallen nature of your culture. You got to be stuck to the sword. Come on. I remember one time, first time I, I went mano a mano with a Satanist with Jesus. He was he was bringing out a big old necromonitan. This is at the University of Pacific. I'm a that y'all don't know that satanic book of the dead, right? Written by Anton LaVey. His Bible was this big, but he didn't know. Like somebody say he didn't know. He didn't know that some Gideon precious senior brothers had handed me a little green-coated little man. Y'all, y'all don't know about no Gideon's Bible, New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. I'm like, you coming in with that big Bible? I came out with my little Gideon's green-coated. Come on, New Testament. I'm like, I will cut you up. Come on, my hand. That, that thing, my, my, my Bible was so smashed, I kept that thing in my back pocket. You got to be stuck to the sword. What does the word of God say? You got to know, we have a generation that hasn't been taught spiritual warfare. So when the enemy flexes on you, we run, we dip, we peace out, we go ghost. No, no, no. You're going to be a hero. We need some folks that will love Jesus no matter who's looking, no matter what the cost. We need somebody to break out with Fox's Book of Martyrs and know you have spiritual legacy of folks that had hot lead poured down their throats, torn between chariots, heads torn asunder. And while we run from the, the butter knives of ridicule, they refuse to fade from, uh, from, from Nero's guillotine. I'm getting so excited, I can't even talk. But that's not your generation because y'all been exposed to it. Y'all survived a pandemic of the likes of bluebonic plague. Y'all making it. Something about you. Last dude in the worship team, y'all are perfect. Shema, I love this dude. His name means desolation or astonishment. Why? Because I believe he was the bridge between desolation and astonishment. Bible says he's in a bean field. I don't even like beans. I'll eat them because I know they're healthy for me, right? He's in a bean field. The Bible says around harvest time because the devil always attacks at harvest time. Can I say this last thing? How, last thing, y'all still with me? I believe his last two years from God's perspective is actually, actually a fast track to an awakening. I don't know if you ever go to Disneyland, Disney World, you can go get a fast track pass. I believe what this whole thing, it unplugged church for a while so we understand church had to get outside the walls. 
even if that was online, if that was digital, we, we recognized we had to get outside the wall. California, still churches, we need you to come back in the walls now. Hello, somebody. Church isn't just on your couch sipping a cappuccino. Come on, somebody, right? People, I'm scared of the this and that. Hey, 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 that, that, that ain't keeping you from going to Home Depot. Come on, Target and, you know, <laughs> Walmart. If it didn't keep you from I like my chances in this aisle and aisle 12 in Home Depot. I think I can get healed in this aisle with y'all, right? Just, just saying, just saying. Here's this guy and he's harvest time. He's doing beans. And the Bible says that the Philistines started like marching against him. And then it says Israel fled from him. So watch this. If you read between the lines, what's it saying? It's saying initially Israel stood there. So it's like initially we see that there is the smoke clouds of galloping horses and we see that there are warriors coming at us. And initially they're there. And I don't know the conversation. I'm just very visual and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I imagine, I imagine, okay, come on, man. I know we're outnumbered, but, but you know what? We could do this. Our God is with us. God is for us. Who could be against us? Yeah, 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 yeah. And all of a sudden, as the horses got closer, people start dipping. They start running. And all of a sudden, it's almost like, I don't know, Shamal, maybe he's standing there and he turns. And what do you do when your backup backs up? Sometimes we need to pull out them old hymns, Jeff. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I've decided to follow Jesus. We need some Christians that you don't have to have the crowd with you. You may not, you may not have your crew, your clique, your club hanging and riding with you. We still need you to make the right decisions when no one else is around you and you don't have a rah-rah and people that will back you. Here is a guy, and this is the most heroic thing, is his ability to stand by himself. I know what I'm saying may not be PC. It may not be as the world would call tolerant or whatever. But I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to tell you Jesus loves you. He loves you enough that he can free you from that. He can set you free. I'm not going to just Christianize everything and kind of make it like, hey, there is no, you know, outcome or result from whatever, however way you live your life. It's all good. It all wash out in the end. Everybody's going to go to heaven. No, that's a lie. Jesus was very clear about it. The writers of the gospel is very clear. Church world and history has been very clear about that. Jesus, why would Jesus die on a cross if sin wasn't as potent as it is? If it wasn't as offensive to a holy God as it is? And we casually think it's okay in the name of grace to be smoking stogies, drinking hard drink, hitting up bars after our worship sets. No, God is cleaning this stuff up. I'm, 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 he's cleaning up in the pulpit. He's going to clean it up in the pew. If judgment begins, it's going to begin in the house of God. Come on, somebody. I, I know you're clapping because you believe it. Here's a guy. I'm going to stand by myself. Sometimes you got to stand by yourself. If I had more time, I'd tell you stories, but let me conclude this. As they get closer to him, he has his choice. He sees all of Israel retreat from him. He sees the enemy coming closer. And there's this position where the Bible says this phrase, but Shema stationed himself in the battlefield. I believe at a certain point, he turns and he gets one foot planted. He gets the other foot planted. We're not even told the dude got a weapon. The dude got a rake in his hand. Come on, somebody. You're about to take on ISIS with a rake, right? Dude got a rake, a little hoe, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever you got. Like, and he stands there and, and, and like... Logic would say it's just bean field, but no, no, no. His thing is, but it's my bean field. This is my family. This is my city. This is my nation. There comes a point when you take ownership over geography that something courageous and something eternal is able to channel its way through you. And I know that's different language for folks. The power of God is ready to break out of folks that would take ownership of the land around them. 
And all of a sudden, man, what you get is you get an Evan Roberts in the Great Welsh Revival because he took ownership as a teenager in his young 20s. He led a band of seven folks. I think six of them were women, and the other one was his buddy. And they saw a revival sweep a nation. Today, they said one of the farthest ramifications of any revival in the history was the Great Welsh Revival. It even leaped over and impacted Frank Bartleman as he was in constant correspondence with Evan Roberts. And he was the intercessor and kind of connected with W.J. Seymour with, with the Zuzu Street Revival. We're not told how he did it. We're just told at the end of the day, everyone that came to take his territory was defeated. And all of a sudden, Shema is standing there. And I thought about this. He stationed himself in the middle of it because why? Heroes are willing to go after something that other people won't. And that's the call on your generation. God is looking for you to be that hero. It's not Iron Man, some smooth exec, you know, in a, a suit. It's not, you know, King T'Challa. It's not like whatever, you know, Wonder Woman, whoever's out there. What we need is some people that will rise up in Jesus' name. Would you bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, God, the realization that I'm a hero because a hero lives in me. That, Lord, you put me in a high-risk situation when you want to unleash the miraculous. That miracles never come in comfort zones. They come in a battle zone because that's when you need a miracle. And, Lord, our nation has become one proverbial battle zone and that God we're exactly in a miracle zone father I pray first time in my life and I believe it's so important that I see a hunger amongst God's people the church is coming back to churches all over the people that are coming back more hungry I've never Christian I've never had more overtime services and the power of God the people of God are coming back hungry and I've never seen the word out there as desperate in his history revivals typically break out after seasons of disruption. The greater the disruption, the greater the revival. You've never had a disruption like this. But let me tell you something else. We've never had an intersection of hunger in the house and desperation outside the house, which lets me know we can have revival and awakening at the same time. The call is upon you. The call is upon you. Is that are you going to allow the anxiety, the fear, the public sentiment of whatever is popular, whatever is trending to influence you? Are you going to stay stuck to the sword? Are you going to defy the Philistine? The spirit of the, spirit of the Philistine, some would say it's like the spirit of the, the world today. Are you going to defy that spirit that says to you as a believer, stand down? That thing that says, hey, you will adopt what you believe or adapt to what it is that I'm, adopt what we're telling you, but adapt what you believe to what is consistent because there is a religion of America and it's not Christianity. You got to make a decision and your, your heroic stance takes place right there when you're going to be a person of truth and not a compromise. I can't save them if I'm like, here's the best way of saying it is like the first thing God had to do is he had to deliver the deliverers before they could deliver a nation. You read the book of Judges. They had <laughs> Gideon. You had to deliver the deliverers. And God is in a season of delivering the deliverers. And that's what this message is about. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, you know, as a worship team, you guys get ready now. I believe that there's going to be an incredible time of ministry, but I would be remiss if I didn't begin here. How many of you are saying, and again, I'm not, I know you're, you're here, you're believers, you're followers of God. I'm not giving a come to Jesus typical salvation prayer, but I am given a come to Jesus moment. 
I've had many times of a come to Jesus moment, and I believe what has kept me from backsliding is I have a consistent come to Jesus. I consistently, you, some would say, God, uh, what I'm doing is I'm upgrading my commitment and belief in consecration. I like to say it's almost like a reconsecration moment where I go, God, I'm yours. God, I don't want this stuff in my life. And I know my wife dealt with the sin aspect. I want to deal with the will aspect. The will of who are you really living to please? Who are you more afraid of? Because the fear of man, your fears determine your God. Because you're going to listen to your fears. And if you have a fear of leaving the comfort zone, you have a fear of standing apart from what the crowd is saying, then they're calling the shots in your life and not the Messiah. But if you're here right now and say, Sean, because all revivals begin with a spirit of abandonment. What I mean by abandonment here is you're abandoned to the purposes of God. God, you're everything. I'm not trying to sit here and rationalize my way back into a compromise and a sin. And I'm telling you what, in this past season, so many people went back to old bondages because they were online for everything. And God is saying, no, it's time to break loose and break free. He's delivering the deliverers. If you're here right now, you say, Sean. I want to I respond to this thing of being abandoned for God, of giving him my all afresh. I've done it typically because I've seen the love of God, but I'll be honest with you, I've also done it because I've seen the ire, I-R-E, of the devil released. And when you have the devil killing a high school kid in your city, that lets me know I cannot be nonchalant, I cannot be status quo in my Christianity. If the devil would do that in my city, it is on right now. If you're saying, I need to abandon myself, I want to be abandoned in a whole new dimension. And I mean it. Don't just stand a stand. Like you, this is, this is something, it's, it's got to be authentic. And that's what I love about your generation. You're all about authenticity. Number one uh, characteristic you're looking for in leaders, they did a recent poll amongst your generation, Gen Z, is authenticity. Amen. Absolutely with you. You get it, whereas some other generations didn't get it. If you're authentically saying, I, I need to abandon myself, or I want to abandon myself, I want to go to a new level of intimacy with God, of obedience, if that's you, just stand up wherever you're at. Just stand up. Stand up right where you're at. If that's, that's your yes, that's just, this is your, you got to walk it out, but this is the beginning right now. I just want us just to sing a worship song. If you do want to come to the altar, come to the altar. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. I know you guys have a little prayer and fasting President Scott said we got to admit it. So if you got to go, I get it, you got to go. But we're going to flow a little bit. I believe there's some healing in the room. But obviously, any particular time you got to leave, you, you're obviously dismissed. I get it. You know your schedule. No one else knows. But right now, let's just take a minute if you can and just, just, just tuck in, dive in, press in to the more of God. Just as they begin to sing. If you want to hit the altar, hit the altar. If you want to stand and lift your hands, your posture of, uh, physically is not important as your posture in terms of your heart.